Welcome to Junior Elves and Now What, Episode 5. Let's start this episode off with a series of illustrations. The first illustration is from one of my favorite series. For those of you who don't know, when I was younger, I struggled with literacy. And I had to go to some special classes to uh, be taught a little bit more one-on-one to really learn to read and read well. And now I love reading, uh, time permitting. But there was a particular series that got me reading more than anything. I was in eighth grade. Somebody handed me The Hobbit, and perhaps one day I'll go into more stories about why this particular version of this book is so important to me. And I read this book in three days, and it literally changed my life in more ways than I can fathom and continues to do so to this day. So, anyways, this series is going to be our first illustration. Imagine for the moment that you are a little dude who has very hairy feet, and you possess a ring with some amazing magical powers. And this person, who's significantly larger than you, visits you one day and says, by the way, that little ring you have was invented by somebody quite evil, needs to be destroyed in a volcano, in the heart of the lands of all evilness. I need you to do this. Good luck. Now, obviously, I've ridiculously summarized the story, but there's a couple of points that I wanted to make out of this for this illustration. The first thing is, this ring's never been destroyed before. This will be a first. The second thing is, is that our poor little hero, Proto, took Gandalf at his word. This is a very important part, part for this illustration, is that he took what Gandalf asked him to do and acted accordingly. All right, illustration number two. One of my personal all-time favorite anime is one that is called Sword Art Online. I believe that it can still be found on Netflix. And in Sword Art Online, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the pilot episode for you so that you understand this illustration. It takes place in our future, and there is a piece of headgear, like a almost a helmet that you can put on, that allows you to fully immerse yourself into a video game. Uh, there's obviously been some other books or movies done on a similar concept. In this concept, there are 10,000 people who start this game in this anime. And when they enter into the game, they're fully immersed, meaning their body is laying down in a bed, completely immobilized while they're wearing this helmet. And any action that they would normally tell their body to do, lift arm, move leg, etc., their avatar in this game does. The, uh, the story, the music, the effects, everything are very wonderful and spectacular in this anime. The point I'm making for this illustration is that at the very beginning of the pilot episode, after the characters have had a chance to experience the world for a little while, they all get summoned to the starting point of the game. Let's call it Town Square for simplicity. And the creator of the game summons them all there, and then he tells them that this game is now their world that they are trapped in this game until they can beat all 100 levels of the game. And as a twist, if they die in the game, they die in real life. So, here's the question. Is the person that is telling them this, the creator of the game, telling them the truth? 
or is he lying to them? What proof do they have that if they die in this game, they die in real life? Illustration number three. I often refer a lot of my podcasts to various things in astronomy, and I'm going to do so once again. One of my personal favorite illustrations to use for this topic that I'm introducing right now is the moon. That giant, wonderful, round hunk of cheese that's got a lot of dents in it from being smacked around by other astronomical things across the sky. Imagine for the moment that you are a teacher and that you have a classroom full of students who have never had the opportunity to see. They could have been blind their whole lives or raised in caves and have never been to the surface of the earth before or been blindfolded for their entire life because they have psychotic parents. Whatever the case may be, they have never seen. And as the teacher, you're teaching them about astronomy, the sun, the stars, the moon, and other various things in our solar system. And a student raises their hand and says, the moon. I've heard of this before. What is it that you can tell me to help me to believe that it exists? Prove to me in a tangible way that the moon exists. The moon, for those of you who don't know, is a very, very important, if not imperative part of the functions that happen here on Earth. All right, illustration number four. If you and another person standing next to you, this goes back to my very first podcast on perspective, are looking up at the sky during a sunrise and you're both viewing the spectacular array of colors that are coming off of the sky and from the sun's interference with our atmosphere, you were to turn to the person standing next to you and you see and, and explain to them, do you see those amazing colors, especially that orange, that vibrant orange. And the person standing next to you and says, oh, I see it. I see that vibrant orange and it's breathtaking. It's astonishing. It's astounding. It's amazing. And then you begin to think, how do I know that we're both talking about the same thing? In fact, what if you, what if you knew unequivocally that you were both talking about the same thing, but how would you know that the person really truly is seeing that same thing exactly the same way? All right, illustration number five. This goes back to my days of college. When I was getting my bachelor's degree in accounting, I had to go through a series of general eds, as many of you do too. And one of my classes was English. I truly, truly despised English classes growing up. I've never understood the language. In fact, quite frankly, I think that the English language is really kind of screwed up anyway. Be that as it may, I never was very good at it. And I had this particular English teacher who was the P word with a big giant capital P. He was kind of a jerk, if nothing else. The very first day of class, the very first thing he did was basically insult everyone in the class, challenge them for a debate, and then waited to see if his egging on would entice any one of us to grab the hook and get pulled in. 
He obviously was no idiot. He had a PhD. He had many years of experience in his field of studies and in many other fields of study. Be that as it may, he was not, shall we say, a people person. So, as you can tell from my attitude, my perspective of this teacher was not very positive. Having said that, one of the things that he taught me was that when you write something or when you create something, one of the most difficult things that we do as humans is try to not fix our mistakes as we're making them. Meaning, if you're sitting down and you're writing somebody an email, how often do you backspace when you make a mistake, misspell a word, forget some grammar? Versus how often do you just keep writing until your thought completes itself and then go back and make the corrections later? What he taught us was that when you're creating something, just go. Doesn't matter how many mistakes you made, go. I sat down one day and I typed for a solid hour without hardly stopping to breathe. And I broke Microsoft Word. It stopped even underlying how many mistakes I made but I finished my thought. So what he taught me was very useful. And I'm very grateful for that lesson that came from a person who I very much disliked. Illustration number six. In mathematics, there is a principle that I'm sure I don't understand anywhere near as well as I'm going to express right here. And that principle is the idea of infinity. If you were to try to cross the distance from the number one to the number two through each individual decimal point between those two distances, you would never reach number two, or so we're taught. You would also, if you were trying to travel to the final number in the numbers line, moving from one to two to three, etc., you would never reach a final number because there is no final number or so we're taught. This is a very important part of the illustration, and I am specifically phrasing this the way I am for a reason. In mathematics, they use a term called proofs. And these are things where they'll take a concept or a principle and they'll apply it to certain types of variables to quote unquote, prove out the concept. But these proofs are, by their own nature, a sample proof. They aren't necessarily saying that, well, to prove that we're going to get to the end of a number line, we are going to count to the very end of the number line. So this podcast is going to be a little shorter than most of mine because the topic that I'm introducing, I feel, is one of the most important ones I will probably speak about in these podcasts up to now and going forward. Most of the podcasts I have framed around three concepts or a pattern of three principles. The first one is the introduction. As I've discussed before in the concept of perspective, seeing the same concept or principle addressed from multiple different angles helps us to understand it better, understand the complexity and the depth of it better. The second principle or pattern I use is to then define it to help me or you understand what it means and how it's related to everything else. And the third piece is the application. Now that I know the topic, now that I understand it, how do I apply it? Well, for this topic, 
I'm actually going to end with the introduction. Most of you have probably guessed what this principle is. However, I am not going to finish introducing it. I will forego that until the next podcast or potentially beyond. I will work on defining it in the next one. To go back to the quote that I have discussed in every primary podcast to date, the idea here is, what if the only way to achieve my maximum potential is to help everyone else understand that this concept that I want you all to think about from the illustrations I have given to date is not something that is strictly applied to one branch of study, as most people believe. It is really applied to all areas of study. A very prime example of this goes to the concept of scientific growth and knowledge. We've all heard of the Black Ages, the Dark Days, the times when things were stagnant and living on Earth here was kind of a scary place. Not saying it isn't scary now, but it was much more scary back then for a certain reason or for a variety of reasons, I should say. But one thing that was unique then that is different now, and that is, is that knowledge and science and all things like that had stalled, almost to the point of stopped. And then it started to go again at an increasing momentum that to this day is astonishing. And yet, I seriously doubt that very many people would be willing to accept that the reason for that is based off of this very simple principle. And now what? And now what I want you to do, the same thing I'm going to do in preparation for the podcast next week, is to think about these six illustrations and the final quote I gave at the end and figure out how they tie together. It's probably fairly simple for you. It's not been so simple for me in preparation for this. However, understanding how they tie together will help defining this topic next week make more sense. As with always, have a spectacular week, smile, be happy. And please understand that part of the reason why this topic that I am bringing up is so vital to its application to all places of knowledge, understanding, and growth is that it is, in my opinion anyway, one of the greatest ways and means of finding and achieving peace, both in this mortality and beyond. Chuck Norris once walked away from a fight with two broken ribs and a dislocated arm. He hasn't given them back yet.